good, good group of um, people, good group of Christians. So I appreciate you guys being here. We've got other visitors as well tonight. We welcome you to Hoover. Hope tonight's a blessing to you in some, in some way. Uh, we are going to look at Amos 5. And if you were here last week, you may remember. Uh, I hope you'd at least have some vague recollection that we looked at the book of Amos last week. Uh, maybe just like back there in a corner of your mind somewhere, you have some little inkling of a memory that we looked at Amos 7. Remember that? Um, you don't have to remember that for tonight to make sense, but just a couple of things about the book of Amos that I want you to know that will help you as we, as we look at it tonight. Um, it, you know, a couple, couple of interesting things about it. This is one of the earliest books, one of the earliest prophetic books in the Old Testament. This was written during a time of prosperity. This was a book that Amos wrote when things were going well. He's, he's writing, if you remember a little bit about the Old Testament story, you know, you've got this time where they were united, some of the great kings, or one great king, David, was king during that time, and then his son Solomon reigned, and then after that the kingdom divided. And from then on it was northern kingdom and the southern kingdom not too many prophets prophesied in the northern kingdom because they didn't last too awful long because they, they uh, were not faithful to God and God ended up punishing them. But one of those guys who did is Amos. And so he's, he's writing, he's preaching to these people in the northern part. They had twisted everything about the word of God and, and, and they had, if you, you may remember we talked about this a little bit last week, they had changed the priesthood. Uh, Kyle was talking about the uh, the priest coming from the tribe of Levi tonight when he was teaching, the, teaching our kids. They came from the tribe of Levi. Well, Jeroboam the first up north, he changed that to, it didn't, didn't matter so much about the lineage. They were to worship in Jerusalem at the temple and observe the holidays. And he moved them to two other cities in the north. They were to worship on certain days and he changed the days around. So a lot of things happened. Jeroboam the first, this wicked king of the north, uh, he changed a lot of that stuff and it caused a lot of problems, and the people weren't faithful to God. Now, some good things happened, though, during that time, at least from, a, from an earthly perspective, from a material perspective. By the time that Amos wrote, another man is king whose name is Jeroboam II. Now, this is a long time after Jeroboam I, but Jeroboam II is, is king now, and things are actually going really well for them in several ways. Their military has done well. They've got a powerful army, and so back then... You know, you had a, that's true today too, I guess, but for a nation state, if you had a powerful army, you had walls around your cities, you were doing okay, you had some security. They were doing well militarily, they were doing well materially because they had, pretty, they had a pretty good economic situation, the money was good, there were a lot of rich folks, and uh, they even had a middle class, you know, during this time, so they were doing, they were doing pretty well. But a lot of things have kind of flowed out of that. When you're doing well, you think you're secure in and of your own you know, you got your own power, right? You got your, you got your strong military as a nation state back then, and then you're doing well economically. What, I mean, you can probably, even if you weren't here last week, you know how that affects you as a, as a nation state spiritually, right? Doing well military, you, you think, I, you know, we, real, we don't really need God that much because we've got a strong military, and your, your economics are good, then we don't really need God to take care of the agriculture because we're doing okay agriculturally, everything's good. Well, spiritually speaking, they were, they were bankrupt. So it's during that time that Amos wrote and preached. And that's where we are when we look at Amos 5. Now, I want to do something here at the beginning. And we've done this before, this, this principle 
with other texts, especially in the Old Testament. And some of you may remember that, this grammatical structure that I want to I talk to you about. And I'm going to make really just one point that I think God is trying to teach us in Amos 5. And I'm going to, by the way, did you notice we threw in a PowerPoint tonight for no extra charge on Sunday night. So I know you're excited about that. The, the, in, in Amos 5, what you've got here is you've got this, this Hebrew structure, grammatical structure, wherein the, the writer, the prophet, is going to make this very powerful point. And so I want to show that to you, and that's why we're going to use a, a PowerPoint tonight, because I want you to see how this breaks down. I, can, I think in the past maybe I tried to describe it to you verbally, and it's really, really difficult. But if you can see it, then it might be something that you'll remember, and it'll make a, a difference in your life. Um, look, at, look at our text. All right, you got Amos 5 in front of you. It's not going to do a whole lot for you if you don't see it in your own Bible, but I'm going to put the structure on the screen so that you can see it there. But Amos 5, look at couple of things that he does. What you're going to notice is you've got a paragraph that extends from verse 5 down to the end of verse 15 or so. All right? So that's a paragraph. There's a unit of thought in, in Amos' writing. And what he's going to do is he's going to use this structure that's all over the Old Testament. You see some in the New Testament too, where he balances his thoughts. So he's got an initial thought in verses well, verse, verse 4 through verse 6, if you look at the end of verse 4, he says, Seek me and live. This is God speaking to the house of Israel. But he says, Seek me and live. And then he says, But do not seek Bethel, and do not enter into Gilgal, or cross over to Beersheba. For Gilgal shall surely go into exile, and Bethel shall come to nothing. Seek the Lord and live. So you got that emphasis right at the beginning of our unit of thought here. Okay, then if you go to the end of the thought, you go down to verse 14, you'll see the same kind of thing. you got this exhortation that starts his thought and that ends his thought. You see that? Verse 14, seek good and not evil that you may live. And so the Lord, of, the, the, Lord the God of hosts will be with you as you have said. Hate evil and love good and establish justice in the gate. It may be that the Lord the God of hosts will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. So what you've got, if you see this, you got exhortation at the very beginning, seek the Lord and live. And then you see it at the end, verse 14, seek good and not evil, hate evil and love good. So any, anyway, what Amos is saying at the beginning and the end is seek the Lord and live. So you got that exhortation. Okay, then there's a different emphasis. Right after that, in verse 6, the latter part of verse 6, look what he says. Lest he break out, you've got, you've got judgment expressed here. Lest he break out like fire in the house of Joseph and it devour with none to quench it for Bethel. See that? Lest he break out. So seek the Lord. You've got the exhortation. Followed by judgment, this emphasis on this is what's going to happen. This is a, a pronouncement of judgment. Now if you look down to the end of this, in the latter part of verse 11, and read right up to the edge of where we started last time in verse 14, You'll notice this. So look at, look at verse 11. He says, You have built houses of hewn stone, but you shall not dwell in them. You have planted pleasant vineyards, but you shall not drink their wine. For I know how many are your transgressions and how great are your sins. You who afflict the righteous, who take a bribe and turn aside the needy in the gate. Therefore, he who is prudent will keep silent in such a time, for it is an evil time. So if you see this, he starts out with exhortation and he ends with exhortation. From exhortation, he moves to a statement of judgment, and that is the next to the last thing he says. So you've got 
You see, you've got the, you've got the bookends, and then you, you go in, and you see two similar thoughts. Second thought and the second from the last thought are parallel. You see that? And then you got this. The third emphasis is condemnation. Look at verse 7. O you who turn justice to wormwood and cast down righteousness to the earth. You got this pronouncement of, of condemnation, this emphatic statement to the people condemning them for what they've done. And look at verses 10 and 11, the first part of verse 11. They hate him who reproves in the gate, and they abhor him who speaks the truth. Therefore, because you trample on the poor, and you exact taxes of grain from him. And then he goes on in that statement of, of judgment. So you've got the exhortation first, a statement of judgment second, a statement of condemnation third, and then you go to the end of it, he ends with exhortation Second to the last is the statement of judgment, and then the statement of condemnation is third. So you see this, the, the parallel? Uh, I hope putting it like that will, will help, help it come out a little bit more clearly. And then the Hebrews did this all over the place. It's all over the Old Testament. You just have to look closely to see it. And then you got this statement, this fourth kind of statement is a statement of proclamation. Look at the first part of verse 8 where he makes a statement about God. He who made the Pleiades and Orion and turns deep darkness into the morning and darkens the day into night, who calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out on the surface of the earth. So you got this proclamation about who God is, about what he's done. And then look at verse 9. Who makes destruction flash forth against the strong so that destruction comes upon the fortress. You've got that statement of proclamation about God made as well. And so if you follow this, what you've got is You've got Amos following this structure, um, the, the bookends that get increasingly closer. The bookends are exhortation, the next are judgment, and then condemnation, and then proclamation. And the reason they would do this often is, and we've talked about this before, so some of you are familiar with this, this pattern, but there's going to be an emphasis usually on what is in the very center. And so you've got all these, all these statements coming in, and if you look at the last part, of verse 8, what do you have there? The Lord is his name, right? The Lord is his name. So Amos is, is teaching them. And, you know, I, I don't know how you feel about this sort of thing. I, I don't think this is something that you hear this sermon preached orally without some sort of explanation, you'd never notice this. But this is, this is what I was talking about a little bit this morning. The Bible is so rich and so deep that the more closely you look at it, the, the more you learn, the more you see these patterns and these, these repetition, these, these structures that come through. And it helps you to see the hand of God working through these prophets, working through these writings in order to help us to grow. You can read this and never notice this kind of structure, but then once you start looking at it more closely and you see these parallels and you start looking for stuff like this, it helps you to see how embedded in the text are these emphases where God is wanting us to learn something especially powerful. And right in the center of these statements, he's talking to these rich people who are doing well materially, doing well uh, in their military. They thought they were secure. They thought they were safe. They thought everything was good. And he makes all these statements to them. He, he says, you know what? If you seek God, you'll live. But if you don't, God will judge you. He proclaims the power of God. And then right in the middle of this, he says, the Lord is his name. 
The Lord is his name. <clears throat> it's a basic thing, really, isn't it? The name of God. There's a lot of this in the Old Testament, a lot of this in the New Testament. Emphasis on the name of God. I'm going to go through a series of verses. I don't like putting a lot of words on the screen normally. But I'm going to go through these because I, I don't want to take time for us all to turn there. And I want you to see them. There's a lot of emphasis on this, this idea, the Lord is his name. It's almost like Amos is saying to the people, you know what? You have gone so far away from God. We've got to go back to the very beginning and we've got just to familiarize you with the name of God again. We've, we've got to get you to understand whose people you are. We've got to, we've got to convince you to, to understand who you are as a people. You're not just some nation state in the ancient Near Eastern world. You know, you're not just like Syria or you're not like the Mesopotamians. You're not like the Babylonians who would come later. You're not like the Egyptians. You wear the name of God. God chose you. And he protected you, and he nurtured you, and he brought you out of Egypt. I mean, throughout this book, you're going to have this emphasis. God has brought you to this place, and here you are. You don't even know who's God, who's your, who your God is. You don't even know who you are. The Lord is his name. That emphasis is all over the place. Let me go through a few of these just pretty quickly. There's the Lord is his name. Let me go through these pretty quickly. Uh, I do want you to look at these. The, Amos 5, 8, we just saw that one. Look, look back one chapter to Amos 4, verse 13. Look what he says. Uh, For behold, he who forms the mountains and creates the wind and declares to man what is his thought, who makes the morning darkness and treads on the heights of the earth, the Lord, the God of hosts, is his name. You may remember a few weeks ago we were talking about Leviticus 19. And in that chapter, he's talking about what it means to love your neighbor. And you remember that structure, perhaps. This is another place you can go. Um, the Lord is our God. The Lord is our God. The Lord is our God. Here in Amos, you've got the Lord is his name. The Lord is his name. Uh, look, look over to chapter 9 and verse 6. And then I'm going to just put some verses on the screen for you to go through quickly. Amos 9 verse 6 says this. Who builds his upper chambers in the heavens... And founds his vault upon the earth, who calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out upon the surface of the earth. The Lord is his name. Notice again, as we've talked about before, that your Bible likely has in these cases, in these, not always, but in the verses that I've read for you, the word Lord is in small caps, you know, capital L and then small caps, O-R-D, indicating that this is that name that we usually, you know, you uh, say Yahweh or pronounce differently because we don't know for sure how they pronounced it in the ancient world. They stopped saying it because it was sacred, it was reverent, they didn't want to use it flippantly, so they stopped saying it. And, and over time, because of the structure of the Hebrew language, um, it was lost. And people don't know how the word was pronounced back then because it was so reverent to them. I think they got one of the lessons I want to share with you tonight is just this reverence for, for Yahweh, the Lord. Yahweh is his name. That's a big deal for us to wear the name of Yahweh or Javeh or however you're supposed to say this, this word. You know, it's just a, it's a very powerful thing. This is God's covenant name that he gave to his people. You wear my name. You are my people. That's a big deal. You don't just live like other people. 
Can't live like them. You're my, you're my, you're the God of heaven, Yahweh. You're, you're my people. And so you got to live a different kind of life. All right, look at this. Just quickly, some of these passages, Exodus 3 and verse 13. You remember this one. This is when the burning bush scene was taking place. And Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to him? That's one of the excuses Moses gave, gave to God. And he was trying to figure out a way that he didn't have to go back to Egypt and lead the people out. And so he said, they're going to ask me, what is, what is his name? What is, what is the name? This is a, a very important emphasis throughout the Old Testament. Three chapters down, if you look at that little paragraph there, verses 2 through 6. This is how it starts. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am Yahweh. I am the Lord. You're my people. So when you go back to these Israelites, they're going to ask you. Tell them, this is in that same section of Exodus where he says, I am that I am. I am the eternally self-existing one. I am. I, it's just the verb to be. You know, I, I exist. I don't have a creator. Uh, I don't have an end. I don't have a beginning. I just simply, I am self-existing. I'm the, un, you know, the uncaused cause. I am the eternally existing one. That's uh, lots of things embedded in the name Yahweh and the I am that I am. So you got this emphasis throughout. Look at this one. Jesus says these words in John 17, I made known to them your name and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them may be in them and I in them. I've, I've, I've made known to them the name, your, your name, the, the, name of, the name of God. I've made known, I've, I've helped them to see your name. And of course, that doesn't just mean he taught them the name of God or even the name of Yahweh, but I've, I've taught them who you are. When you wear the name of God, it's more than just a name. It's a way of life. It's a, it's a set of priorities. It's, it's who you are. It's what you look like. What you say, how you say it, your attitude, it's, it just changes everything about you when you wear the name of God. So it's more than just letters. It's a, it's a character of God. It's the nature of God. Psalm 22, verse 22. I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will praise you. You got Revelation 3.12. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Neither shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. Just this is all over the place. I, I mean, stuff like this, just all over the Bible, this emphasis on the, on the name of God. Back in, back in Ezekiel, one of the prophets who was after Amos, but I had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations to which they came. Therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. The name of God is holy, sacred. When you've, um, we've talked about this a time or two before, but you know, that's why we don't know how to pronounce Yahweh. Uh, what I mentioned to you earlier about the fact that they stopped saying it. Even to this day, um, in Orthodox Jewish context, when they're reading the Hebrew Old Testament, they get to Yahweh and they won't, they won't say it. It's Y-H-W-H. Those are, the, those are the letters transliterated into English. They'll say Adonai, which is 
which is a name for God, another, another name, but it's not, it's not Yahweh. It's not, that, it's not that name by which he revealed himself to Moses and to Israel in Exodus. It's just a big deal. I don't, it's just a huge thing to them to wear the name of God. And, and so even uh, when you're, if you're studying, if you, if you were to take a Hebrew class and you read from some of the Old Testament texts, when you get to this, to this name, you substitute Adonai. You don't actually say Yahweh. It's just still a big deal. And uh, it's, it goes back to what we're looking at here. Remember this one it, right in the, near the beginning of the Ten Commandments, Exodus 20 and verse 7. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. And that's, I mean, you, you, gotta, you, 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 know, you got one reading of that, and then there's so much more depth there, but certainly one of the things that it's talking about there is how you use the name of God with your, with your words. As, as reflected in some of those traditions I was mentioning earlier, that you don't take the name of God. I don't think we have to not say Yahweh. I, 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 don't, I don't think God intended that. Uh, I don't think we have to not, not say the name God or the name Jesus. Um, but I'm convinced that we need to be very careful how we use the name of God. It is not like other names. You know what it means that a couple of slides ago, to profane the name of God? It, has a lot of lot of meanings, but one of them is that you don't make the name of God a common name. Uh, you know, your your name, my name, common names. Other people have those names, but just names. Now that may be important to us, and I would hope that 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 your last name, my last name, means something. You know, they they mean something, but they're common names. But when you take the name of God and you use it, you use it. In, in a way that is joining it to curse words or, or, or even using it just, just flippantly as an exclamation is taking the name of God and treating it as if it were a common thing and it's not common, you know. That's not the, that doesn't satisfy everything that's implied and don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain. I think he means more than that. But that's something that he means and probably flowing out of that and, and, and more importantly from that is just how do you wear the name of God? And in the context of his revelation to Israel, you know, you don't live like the other nations. And if you live like the other nations, you're profaning my name because you're wearing my name and you're living like the pagans. It's just a, a terrible thing for you, to, for you to go out there and wear my name, the sacred name, and, and you commit sexual immorality like the pagans or you, you worship idols like, like these unbelievers. You know, it's just profaning the name of God has all sorts of... All sorts of uh, implications. Ephesians 5, 3, and 4 uh, in the New Testament reflects this kind of emphasis when Paul writes, sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, no crude joking which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. Uh, God cares about how we use our words. He cares about our attitudes. He cares about our behavior. All those things reflect an attitude toward the name of God. And when you really understand what Amos is teaching us in Amos 5, then we're going we're gonna to understand who we are. If you go back to Amos and you look at you know, the context of, uh, of Amos 5, really the whole book, his point to them is you guys wear the name of God. You're called by his name. I called you out of Egypt. You know, I, I, I called you out of the 
Ur of the Chaldees. You know, I called Abraham out of this land. I created you. I nurtured you. I protected you. I gave you this land. You wear my name. But what you're doing right now, he's saying to them, what you're doing right now is you're wearing it profanely because you're living as if you're not my child. And that is profaning the name of God. I mean, the applications for us are, are obvious, I think. You and I, most, most people in this room tonight, wear the name Christian. Uh, that's not something you wear flippantly. We wear it. We're not ashamed to tell people that. But more importantly than, than what you call yourself is, do you, do you live like a Christian? You know, do, because when we go out and if we go out and we live like everybody else, we're profaning the name Christ. We're profaning the name of Yahweh. And, and, and to, to use Amos' language here, if we do that, God brings judgment on his people when we live like everybody else. And so one of the main messages of the book of Amos is, wear the name of God. Use it carefully with your speech. Even more importantly, use it carefully with your actions and with your attitudes because people are watching you. And don't, don't let us ever profane his name with our words or with the way we live. If you're not a Christian tonight, uh, we want to give you an opportunity to come to faith in Christ. If you trust in him with all of your heart, you, you, you realize you do believe that he is the son of God. But, but more than that, it's more than just an intellectual thing. You believe it with your mind, but you trust in him with your heart and with your life and with your actions and if you're ready to do that tonight, that means you turn away from whatever your past involves. You confess the Lord as your Savior. You put him on in baptism, and his blood washes your sins away. And what an incredibly beautiful thing that is. And we would be thrilled to help you in your obedience to the gospel tonight. Uh, could be that, and probably is the case, that for most people in this room tonight, you've done that some time ago, but maybe as our two sisters this morning, perhaps you need prayers of this church family and whatever we can do for you spiritually. If you need to come back to the Lord or just ask for encouragement from your church family, we're here for you tonight as well. Let's stand and sing this song. If you need to respond, I hope you'll come.